another surprise for you. Uh, he's only taught here one time, and uh, it was very good. Alex, come on down. all my notes so you don't get confused <laughs> I, oh you do I uh, okay I hate to give it to you well at least she doesn't give me as hard of a time as she does most everybody else so makes me feel a little bit better I guess she feels sorry for me or something all right well if we want to turn our Bibles uh, first and foremost to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 52 and verse 13, we're just going to go ahead and jump in here tonight. Isaiah 52, 13. The Lord really had grace on me. Before I came up here, I realized that my zipper was undone. So thankfully, he was watching out for me. So I'd much rather tell you guys that and have it zipped than you guys know and me not be standing up here. So I figured I would just let you guys know that for some reason. So Isaiah 52, 13. So we're going to go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for this day. And, and God, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we are able to come together as a body, Lord, and to lift up the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you, Father, that your name would be glorified tonight. God, that your son would be lifted high. God, that your spirit would bring life to dead bones. And God, we thank you that your spirit will save the lost. God, encourage the weary. God, we thank you that your spirit, Father, will breathe life into all, each and every one of our hearts. God, that you will encourage the faith of your people, and God, we thank you that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 52, 13, it says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. When I was praying and just kind of meditating upon what to preach tonight, there was something that kept coming to my mind. I kept trying to push it off, push it off, but it just was so prevalent that I felt like I absolutely had to preach this tonight. And so you might not necessarily think it's something new, but that's not always a bad thing. It might not be something you've never heard before but I believe that it's needed. Even if it's just for one person, it's worth it. And as I was thinking about this, what kept coming to my mind was the beauty of the cross. And when we think about the cross, first and foremost, what we think about most often is 
the rejection that Jesus went through by men, right? The, the beating and the torment and the torture that he physically faced leading up to during the cross. You know, one of the things I remember years ago, I was studying the, the actual methods that they would use to whip and scourge and, you know, prepare them uh, for the cross. And one of the things that always stuck with me um, was they would put these heavy lead weights on the ropes that they would beat the men with to bruise the deep tissue, the muscles. And then they would put sharp shards of bones throughout the whips to rip and to tear the flesh. And we know that it was bloody, it was ugly, it was disgusting on a normal basis. But as we just read, in this sense, it was even worse. He was marred beyond all recognition that he didn't even look like a man. Who could have recognized him? It was disgusting. So beautiful, when we think of it this way, is not necessarily the first word that comes to mind, at least not to me, right? And so we're going to kind of look at some other things, what was happening in the spirit at that moment, not just what we always think about, what we always hear about, the physical torment, but some things that were happening in the spirit, if you don't mind. Do you guys mind if we talk about the cross tonight? Good, because I don't have anything else to preach, so... You would have had to suffer through it regardless. At least we're on the same page. Um, let's go to Psalm 22, if you will. Psalm 22, what many call the Psalm of the Cross. Psalm 22. We're going to go ahead and start at verse 1. Psalm 22, 1. All right, Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that Jesus spoke these words on the cross. It says it in both Matthew and Mark. And so a lot of people believe that when Jesus spoke that on the cross, that he was specifically pointing people to this psalm. This psalm has uh, a couple different uh, prophecies that were fulfilled um, while Jesus was at the cross. And if we read through it in its entirety, it gives us what we could almost view as what he would be thinking or going through in that moment. So we're going to read down through verse 8. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. In verse 4, we're going to read 4 and 5 one more time. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. You see, never in the history of the Hebrew people, when God was their God, had a man ever used faith in the promises of God and God not answered that promise. 
God showed himself faithful time and time again. Whether we look at David in all of his sorrows, in all of his rejection throughout the book of Psalms, every time he cried to God, most of the time those Psalms, before he even finishes it, he says, my God, you have answered me. You have heard me. You have come to me. You have delivered me. We think about Abraham. Abraham's strong desire for a child, right? God answered his prayer, even though it was impossible. God came and showed himself faithful. But in this moment, to those who were mocking him and ridiculing him, and even to his own disciples, they did not think that God was being faithful to Jesus. They thought that he was rejecting him. They thought that he was forsaking them, right? But what was happening? Well, let's look in verse 3 again. It says that you are holy. And then verse 6, but I am a worm and no man. Not that Jesus was a worm, but at this moment what was happening on the cross when Jesus was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening was at that moment, God had to take his eyes off of his son. Habakkuk 1.13, you do not have to turn here. It says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. See, what was happening was in that moment, Jesus was experiencing something that he had never experienced before. For the very first time in that moment, all of eternity, Jesus was being separated from fellowship with his father. Imagine what that would have been like. He knew his glory. He knew his goodness. He knew his peace. He knew his joy. He knew the, the entirety of their relationship from the beginning of beginnings. He has always been with him, a part of him. But at that moment, he turns. Terrible, right? Absolutely. I could only imagine what that would be like. But not only did Jesus be separated from fellowship, from his father, but what happened was he who knew no sin. He became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. And because he became sin, God not only had to turn his face from his son for the first time of all eternity, but God had to punish him. God had to pour out upon his son the punishment, the full wrath, the full weight of his wrath upon him that our sin deserved. And so Jesus, in Matthew and Mark, both instances, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He then lets out a loud groan, and he gives up his spirit, and he dies. It is finished, he said. Amen? So Jesus is seemingly forsaken in the eyes of others. But what seemed to be him being forsaken, it was actually the promise of God being fulfilled. Because Jesus, the Bible even says that Jesus could have unleashed the legions of angels to let himself down. But what, that wasn't the will of God. The will of God was for him to complete it until the end. No matter how painful, no matter how sorrowful it was. He had to go through it. And he did. Amen. Thank God that he did. Amen. And so at that moment, the promise that God had made all of mankind from the beginning of creation was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Now let's go to Romans 3. I'm kind of going a little bit backwards what most people uh, would say. But we're going to go to Romans 3. And so this picture is not complete. And so we still cannot 
necessarily say that this cross is beautiful. We must know the context. Romans 3. We're going to go ahead and start at verse 10. Romans 3 and 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Now jumping down to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, Verse 19 again. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so God, he went through all of this trouble. Making all of the 613 different commandments, not just to show man that we are guilty, that we are sinful, that our righteousness is not enough. But he did it so much so to stop every mouth from ever being able to say that I've done enough. I I am right before you on my own merits. I have accomplished it. Right? All 613 commandments. So much so that in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. That the best a man can do, the best a woman can do, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, all of these people who have had great natural life, they've given... I mean, they might be Christians, who knows? But all of their acts of kindness and of goodness could never measure up. That even the best that they could do would be viewed as nothing but filth compared to the purity, the holiness of God. Amen? There's none like him. There's none comparable. And so there's sin for every man. Every man is separated from God. Now what? We know that Jesus died. We know that he paid the the punishment and the penalty for our sin. But why? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to die for us to be forgiven? Let's go to verse 24 and 25. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Let's reread this verse. Verse 25, it says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation, or as a sacrificial substitute, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his own righteousness, because in his forbearance, which means a refraining from the enforcement of something as a debt, right, or obligation that is due. So in God's restraining, 
he had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So he passed over sins in the past, right? Passed over all of the Old Testament sins leading up to Christ. So why couldn't he just continue that? If he's already done it, he's already not necessarily overlooked their sins, but he never brought forth the punishment that was demanded upon them. I mean, if you think about it, the accuser of the brethren, the devil, right? Do you not think that he was standing before God accusing him? How is it, God? Are you unjust? Are you a liar? Are you not good? How is it that you are overlooking the sins of your people? How is it that King David, the one that you say is after your own heart, how is it that he has not been smite to death? How is it when he murdered? How is it when he was an adulterer? You let him continue. You let him to have relationship with you. So why couldn't God just continue that? Why did Jesus have to die? Answers in verse 26. God, to demonstrate, to show forth at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why is this verse important? Why does this answer that Christ had to die? Proverbs verse 17, 15, don't turn there, says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. See, God, because he's just, because that's not just what he does from time to time, but because it's a part of his actual nature, he has to show himself just in every situation. What would you do if a judge, somebody came in, murdered your family, and they came before, their ju- before the judge, you're there waiting to see justice done on this murderer. And that judge says, I'm a loving, forgiving judge. I pardon you, you're free to walk out the door. You would have an uproar, right? You'd be calling every senator, every statesman, you'd be calling the police saying this judge is unjust. Even we as human beings understand this. So God had to have somebody. He had to pour out the penalty that was due our sin. And so when Jesus went to the cross, And when God separated himself for the first time and God poured out the full wrath of himself upon his son, he showed forth. He demonstrated to the devil, to the world, to all creation that he was just. That he could could pay the penalty that sin had demanded and yet forgive the one that made the crime, right? He was able to be just and the justifier of the one who believed in Jesus Christ. Now you and I, we know what this means for us. We know that we can now have forgiveness. We know that we can now have life. We know that we can now have a relationship with God that was not yet possible for us. Not only the same way that they could when he was overlooking their sin, but in a new and greater way. In a way that the prophets, in a way that the angels longed and looked for, looking to understand, not able to do it. You and I have this ability 
to have a relationship with Jesus. And it shows the true beauty of the cross. Because it shows the beauty of Christ. Because he willingly, he didn't have to, he willingly chose to come and to die. He willingly chose to go through the most excruciating thing, not just physically. Many people, many martyrs have went through what some could argue as worse, more torturous physical deaths than what he went through. Imagine John being boiled in oil in a metal cask. That would be extremely painful. And he didn't even die. That would be terrible. So he didn't just come to suffer physically. But he came to bear upon himself the full weight of the wrath of God that you and I deserve. He took our place that we can have relationship with him, right? And this cross is not stationary, even though this cross is stationary. The cross is not stationary. But God, through the cross and through Jesus Christ, pursues mankind. Amen? He doesn't just wait for us to come to him. If we look in the garden, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned they needed a covering God didn't command them and didn't require them to go out to slay an animal and to find their own covering God came to them and provided the covering he gave it to them because he wasn't willing to just leave them where they were but he came as it were throughout the the gospels Jesus says in the book of Luke that he is searching it's like a woman searching throughout her house for the lost coins. And she will not stop searching until she finds them. I remember throughout my life, even though I did not want anything to do with Jesus, with God, with religion, with relationship, whatever. Whatever you say, I didn't want anything to do with it. I went to church a little bit as a kid off and on. Don't remember anything, don't remember ever hearing Really, I mean, I'm sure I heard about Jesus, but I don't remember anything about it. I never had an interest piqued for it, and yet God would not leave me alone. Even before I got saved for the first time, he would not leave me alone. It seemed like everywhere I went, everything I did, God would bring somebody to preach the gospel to me. Even if I rejected him, even if I walked away and said, yeah, okay, I'm never going to do that, he continued to bring person after person after person. And then I got saved. And then I backslid. And in a part, I probably used God to try to get what I wanted, to get out of JDC and to get back on my life. But I had a real experience with Jesus. And even though I went back into the sin, even though I went back into everything I was doing before, he continued to pursue me. He continued to not leave me alone to the point where it kind of got on my nerves to be honest with you and I've heard pastors say you know he's been he, when he was backslidden he'd be at the river smoking a cigarette and God would say son and he'd say no leave me alone I don't want anything to do with you that's what God does because of the price that he paid he will not give up he will not let go of the pursuit whether he's rejected whether he's accepted and then cast to the side, he is going to continue to pursue and to pursue and to pursue. And I'm sure that many of you have stories, and I'm sure that those of you who are here tonight who aren't living right, 
who have never accepted Christ, I'm sure that you can say the same. I'm sure this is not the first time that you've heard the gospel. And if it is, I am sure it may not be the last. Because God will not give up until he's found you. Until you have found him. The book of Acts 17. Oh, let's see, what verse is it? Let's just turn there. Let's just turn to the verse. Acts 17, verse 26. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading before you get there. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times in the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So it says in verse 26 that God pre-appointed the times and the boundaries of our dwellings. That where you were born, where you live right now, this day and age, the 2017, it is not a surprise. It is not by coincidence or by accident. It was not by design from your parents to have you where you are at the time that you're at. But it was specifically designed by God, not only for you to just exist, but verse 27, so that they, or for the purpose that we would seek the Lord in hopes that we might grope for Him and find Him, that He might reveal that He is not far from each one of us. All He wants is for somebody to grope, just barely reach out, reach out so that He can show that He is not far from each one of us. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, if you're here tonight and there's sin in your life and you know you're not living right. I don't want to harsh words. I don't want to, you know, beat around the bush. God wants you to grope for him. He wants you to get the sin out of the way. Because I can guarantee you that sin is just causing your vision to be blurred. To see how beautiful the cross is. To see how beautiful Christ is. It's not hard. It's not. Sometimes it's not always easy, but it's always worth it, right? I can't tell you how many times that I've wanted to give up just for whatever reason. The battle got too hot. I was just too discouraged. Whatever the case may be, I wanted to do my own thing. I've wanted to give up more times than I could probably tell you up here. But I'll tell you one thing. The beauty of the cross caused my heart to not fail. The beauty of the cross caused me to not give in because it was worth more to me than the temporary pleasure. It was worth more to me than anything else I could find in life. Whether you grew up in the church and you don't know much else and you've just kind of gotten by and you just think it's kind of mundane and you're just kind of indifferent to the cross, there's more. There's more than what you've known. There's more than what you've felt. But this cross can ignite you. This cross can cause you to do things that you have never thought possible, that you have never even thought that you wanted to do. How many past drug addicts in here realistically wanted to stop getting high? Probably not many. 
That's why they continue to go back. How many adulterers and those who were sexually promiscuous, how many of you guys wanted to stop messing around with women or men? Probably not any of you, to be honest. I didn't. But when I understood and when this cross gripped my heart and I saw it, how it is, and I saw the price that Jesus Christ paid for me, I couldn't help but change. I couldn't help but want to be different. And the beauty of it is not just that it will grip you and pull you in. The beauty of it is that God will replace your heart. That God will put a spirit within you to cause you to keep His commandments. He will not leave you alone. He will not let you falter and fail by yourself, but He will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He will be with you to strengthen you, to pull you up, to lead you, to guide you, to keep you, to help you. He's with us. And it's because of the cross. Think about this. As Gentiles, there's probably not many natural-born Jews in here. But do you realize, before this cross came, you weren't going to serve the God of the Israel people. You were going to serve your own gods. You were going to serve yourself. You were going to serve the God of the pagans. But through Christ, God pursued you. Through Christ, God pursued me. Through Christ, God made a way for the people that were not looking for him, for the people that were not asking for him, for the people that knew nothing about any of it. He came and he died for you. One of my favorite scriptures, he, wrong scripture, apparently I have more than one favorite. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That in our weakest moments, when we had nothing within ourselves to pull ourselves up, when we had no knowledge we even needed saved, God knew it, he saw it, and he did it. Because he loves us. You know, the, the, one of the most interesting things to me that have, has stuck out about the character and the nature of God. Think about his love for mankind. When Lucifer fell in Isaiah 14, what did God immediately do? He immediately set into motion the things of condemnation, the things of judgment upon him and his angels. As soon as mankind fell, within mere sentences, God set into motion the plan and the purpose to redeem his people, to pull them out of condemnation, to pull them out of judgment, and to make a way for them. Why? I have no idea. There's nothing special in that. And yet God says that we are the apple of his eye. Jesus loved us enough to willingly lay down everything, to lay down glory, to lay down relationship with his Father for a time and come dwell among us. Man, sometimes it's hard for me to even be around my wife for a short period of time. Not that it's anything against her, it's more about me, but I mean, why would you want to leave God to come and to be around men? Suffering. I'm sure that they probably caused more suffering than we know. But he loves us. He loves us. Let's continue 
in Acts 17, verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. We know that Jesus, in his last moment before he died, he cried out, it is finished, right? But in this moment, in this moment when God resurrected him, not only did Jesus declare that it was finished, but the Bible shows us that the Father himself, through the resurrection, declared it is finished. That in that moment, he was showing all that this man, what he said, what he did, was true. That it was right. That it was enough. Now I will draw all men unto myself when he is lifted up. Now all men are called to repent and to believe the gospel. And I just want to ask you guys tonight, I know that there's a lot of homegrown Christians here tonight, but I want to ask you, how beautiful is the cross to you? Do you see it as it is? And if it doesn't do anything to your heart, if you're indifferent to it, if it's just another old thing that we've gotten used to, what's wrong? Shake yourself. Grip yourself. Throw out anything and everything that might be before you and him. Because this cross should drive us. This cross should lead us. This cross should be the motivation to wherein we can overcome hardship in our life. When we come against tough situations, things that we don't want to give up, things that we don't want to lay down and lay aside. Is it worth it? Jesus said this in John 12. He said, my soul is troubled. He said, what shall I do? Shall I declare, you know, that this moment would pass for me? No, but for this moment, I have come forth. See, when we go through hardship, we don't say, God, just pull me through it. I don't care. Just pull me through it. However I get through, no, we say, you know what? It's for these crosses in our life. It's for these obstacles in our life that we've come. Glorify your name is what Jesus said. Glorify your name. Have your way in us. Change us. Mold us. Have your way in our lives. Amen? Now, I know that this might not be something that we don't already know. It's not necessarily something that I, I wanted to preach. I wanted to preach something new, something exciting, something fresh. But I do believe that there is somebody in here, somebody who needed to hear the gospel. Somebody who needed to see Christ. And I don't need to know who you are. The altar team will be up here afterwards, right? And if you need to pray, if you need to repent and turn to Christ, you can come up. And one of these gentlemen will be up here at the altar and just pray with them. Tell them, I need Christ. Because we do. We need him. There's no alternative. That's the beauty 
of the cross. There's no other way. It has to be. It has to be. And so I just pray that you would do that. And I'll just pray tonight, and then I'll pass it back over to Pastor Phyllis, and we'll get out of here a little bit early tonight. Father, we just thank you. God, we thank you for your gospel. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, God. And Lord, I just love you. I thank you for all that you do and all that you are. God, I thank you that you will be with us. God, I thank you that you will help us. God, I thank you that you will lead us, that you will guide us. God, that you will never leave us, never forsake us. God, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.